dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I sit down with Jules Taylor of Jules Taylor Wines in New Zealand, just in time for National White Wine Day. The wine holiday may be August 4th, but we celebrated a bit early by opening a bottle of her delicious Pinot Gris. What bottle will you open this Wednesday to celebrate? And while you're clinking a glass of your favorite white wine, please take a moment to rate and review Exploring the Wine Glass to help other wine lovers find me. Slancha. Wine. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level two graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor. It has been a little while since I've done an episode of this, but I am so excited because, well, honestly... I'm still in California. I would really be much more excited if I was doing this in person. But we have Jules Taylor here from New Zealand. Jules Taylor wines in New Zealand. And it's tomorrow in New Zealand. So I always I always think that's cool. I, I always I always think that's cool, you know. And yet you get that joke of, so do you have the winning lottery tickets? You know. <laughs> But welcome, uh, welcome, welcome. So thank you. So Lovely happy to be to, here. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy. I am so happy to meet you. When uh, they asked if I would do this, I, I think the email didn't even officially get all the way, you know, downloaded before I was like, yes, absolutely. This is so cool. So I am thrilled thank to you. have you here. So first of all, my very first question, Jules, is always, always, always the origin story. How did you get into the wine industry? Well, it's kind of, um, I mean, we all get here by crazy routes, right? Um, I had grown up in Marlborough. I left here because all my friends were going, went to university because all my friends were going, and I studied zoology and planted microbial science. Oh, my God. I, I <laughs> zoology. I know. Anyway, so at the end of that, it was like, what am I going to do? You know, I didn't really have the brains or the inclination or the money to stay on and do a master's or um, anything like that. And I liked wine. And so it seemed like a natural progression for me to go and learn how to make it so I could save myself some money. Um, so off I went. I changed university and did a one-year postgraduate course in winemaking and viticulture. And, yeah, that was back in 1993. And then I moved back to Marlborough Um purely because, you know, I had no money. I'd been studying for four years. Um, my parents still lived here. Um, I wanted to bring my washing home for my mum to do. <laughs> um, but also the wine industry back then was starting to get some traction. And so I thought I'd come home and beg for a job, basically. And at the time, I thought I'd end up working in the viticulture side of the industry. Um, I still think, I mean, it is the backbone of what we do, right? Growing the fruit. And I still love growing my own vegetables and fruits and things like that. But I did a vintage and 
I don't know, you just get completely sucked in by, you know, the craziness of it all. I mean, it was so stressful, probably the most stressful thing ever. You know, I lost a whole lot of weight uh, just oh. because I was so frigging anxious. Um, wow. Anyway, that aside, did a vintage and, yeah, here I am quite a lot of time <laughs> later still doing what, you know, I, lo I love this industry. I love it that you can turn grapes into into wine. You know, that is still, yeah, it blows my mind every year that you can turn you know, the humble little grape into something that gives people joy. Yes. And a lot of joy it does give. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I worked in, um, in Marlborough and then started traveling, working in Italy. And I'd come home via Australia because you can kind of fit in a vintage in the Hunter Valley before Marlborough's fruit is ripe. Um, and so for a lot of years, I, I felt like I was sort of this itinerant worker, which was so much fun. You know, I met so many great people and worked with interesting varieties and got to eat food and buy shoes all over the place. And, you know, but eventually, you know, good things come to an end. And I, yeah, I, uh, I settled in Marlborough with my then boyfriend. Um, oh, he's my husband now, you know, so yeah. Um, <laughs> And we've been here ever since. I'm still coming and going when we can, but obviously, you know, we had children and so that kind of put a kibosh on the traveling to other countries and working vintage. Um, but yeah, here we are still in Marlborough enjoying a fabulous lifestyle. You know, we live in a small town that still doesn't have traffic signals, although our traffic is getting a little bit interesting. <laughs> um, and we live in this great playground of really cool things. Um, and we're lucky. You know, I feel very lucky. How old are your kids? Oh, um, they're two boys and the younger one's just turned 16 and the older one is not far off 18. So interesting times in our house i'm sure are they are they into the wine is that the direction they're going to go um i mean during the summertime when they're off school we um you know get them to do all those joyful things in the vineyard like bud rubbing and lifting wires and the younger one recently learned to drive the tractor which i think he, he found way more interesting <laughs> than you know walking up and down rows um but at this stage you know i'm hoping that they i don't know I'd never sort of say, hey, this is what you need to be doing. I think they need to find their own way in the world. And But who knows? Who knows where that will go? You know, I don't, what, what, is, the, what is the driving age there? Um, it's 16. You can get a learner license. So the day after my son's 16th birthday, which was a Sunday, on the Monday he was in sitting his test. Um, yeah, so he's got his, you know, we call them loser plates. Um, he's got his owl plates now, which is... <laughs> You know, slightly stressful for us and other drivers. Um, but, yeah, we've all got to learn. I mean, I got my driver's license basically the day I turned 15. You know, it has changed, and now it's more of a progressive thing, which I think is kind of probably a good thing. Yeah, they do that here too. Um, yeah. Actually, well, I'm originally from New Jersey. I don't know if they do that in California, but in New Jersey, you get, you know, you get your learner's permit. And then when you get your mm -hmm. license, your license is facing the wrong direction. So everybody knows that you've only no, had your license yeah. for one year. And then you have to put these red <laughs> stickers on your license plate. So everybody oh, around Lord. you knows that you've only been driving for one year. But yeah. I was going to say, yeah. your son, you know, everybody talks about when they get their license, they want to go drive the car or whatever. Your son is like, can I have the keys to the tractor? You 
you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of funny. I mean, he'd driven a tractor more, you know, than before, than a car, which is, you know, it happens down here. <laughs> That's awesome. That is wonderful. Um, so I checked, you know, I always joke around that I have to do some, you know, spy work and, you know, check you out, check the people out before I go in. Um, but yeah. one of the things your website says that your winery started with big dreams, hard work and a healthy dose of not taking ourselves too seriously. And yep. I could already tell that last part is is you in your soul to the truth that you just have a good time in this don't you well I mean you work for a lot of time during a week right so you've got to be doing something that you enjoy otherwise uh, I don't see the the point um yeah I mean while we say you know we don't take ourselves too seriously we do have a little bit of seriousness but for the most part you know if you can't enjoy what you do yeah, I'm not interested. The day that this becomes a chore, I'm going to hang up my winemaking boots, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. So is there a big difference? So from you said that your first vintage, you know, you were so stressed, you lost weight and whatever. I, yeah. Now, now it's still, you know, because I don't know, we make wine, my husband and I own a winery also in Paso mm-hmm. So it is stressful. Yes. Every vintage is something stressful. It's you know? stressful. <laughs> it There's is. always something. Right. Yeah, but, whether it be a drought or whether it be a lack of something, you know, at the moment, you know, we're struggling with workers. Um, <sighs> you know, it's just, yeah, I think that's part of the 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 most exciting thing about the yeah. industry is that every year is different. You know, we're not making the same thing in the same way every single year with the same recipe, you know. So Mother Nature obviously has a huge influence in what we do. Um and so every year is different. And I think that's probably what keeps me, you know, keeps me going. It's like, what is this vintage going to be like? Right. You know, how is spring going to be? Are we going to have any frosts? You know, what's going to happen? Um, so for me, that's, yeah, part of the joy of making wine. You know, every year is interesting, exciting, scary. You know, we've had some, we've had some crackers recently. You know, the last 2020 was a nightmare with COVID. Um and 2021 we went from being probably one of the most stressful to the cruisiest most delightful in terms of beautiful fruit um yeah so it's kind of a roller coaster this winemaking gig you know I mean you know what that's like right it's it's up and down all over the show and just when you think you're cruising you meet a little rover (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Put there just to keep us entertained. (laughs) Yes. But I do, I agree with that. It's, I, you know, you're, you're making the same end product. It's wine. Mm -hmm. You're taking grapes and you're ending with wine, but that journey from grape (laughs) to bottle is never, ever the same. There's, there's something that changes and I agree. That's that's what makes you. That's what makes us get up in the morning and go. You know, it's like. Sure. You know, granted, there's some things that are a little bit more exciting, and some things that are a lot more stressful. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> and the mundane as well. You know, yes. all the compliance stuff. But um, yeah, I think that trying to maintain some kind of consistency of style. Um, yeah, that's it. Can be difficult sometimes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And your, as you said, your mundane things. So many people are like, oh, it would be so wonderful oh, to have a winery. It would be so like, oh, yeah, come on. We, 
Let, let's see. You want to see the whole picture? Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, but yeah. it's, it's still something that is in your passion that is in your heart that, that, yeah. that is just the best, the best thing ever, I think. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, I'm so far in this, you know, I've got a lot of stuff invested in this. I, I don't know what else I do. That's the other, my other issue, you know, what would I, what would I do if I didn't make wine? Mm. I don't know. Make cheese. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm you sure. should try to do them both. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have plenty of time on your hands. I'm sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. Lots of time. <laughs> Lots of time. Lots of time. Because I hear cheese making is super easy, too. <laughs> oh, golly. <laughs> uh, so, so you had mentioned a little bit about your start in the career. So you, you started in the wine industry as a group senior winemaker uh, for a large winery. Right. And then uh, for a prestigious winery, what made you, we're not going to do name dropping unless you want to, um, but at some point you were like, I'm done with this large industry. I'm done with this, you know, working for a large company. I want to make my own wine. What, what was that turning point that mm. made you decide Jules Taylor is getting the label? Here we go. I mean, it, it wasn't really my idea. You know, it was while I was working um, for these lovely people. Um, they said, you only know how to make wine. You have absolutely no idea about the rest of the industry. I mean, this whole gig, the winemaking part is actually the easy bit. You know, sourcing fruit, deciding when to pick it, getting packaging, <laughs> getting packaging design or choosing what to call it. You know, all these things are... I think probably much more difficult than the actual wine making and then taking it to someone and saying, hey, hey, Laurie, nice to meet you. Would you like to try my wine? Oh, you like it? Could you buy it? Could you put it on your list or on your shelf? All that, for me, that stuff is, you know, that's difficult. There's so many good wines out there. So many people have different ideas about, you know, what they want. Um, that's hard to get someone to pick your wine, you know, to put on – the shelf and then to get the consumer to pick that off the shelf in this I mean we live in this amazing world where there is so much choice right that's yeah that's the hard bit so while I was working um at Marlborough Valley Cellars which you know had that other those lovely people <laughs> um yeah, they said, why don't we fund you into doing your own thing? So they oh. fully funded the venture for the first um, five vintages. Um, we had a very rudimentary Excel spreadsheet that at the end of the year we pushed the sum button and if that number was in the black, we would just divvy the cash. Um, and it wasn't until 2006 that my husband and I actually purchased all the stock and decided to put our big boy and girl pants on and go it alone so we had a lot of amazing support from a lot of people um and that's another great thing about this industry you know it's not rocket science there aren't many secrets um and so everyone is really open with their knowledge and you know people pay it forward which is i think awesome 
Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's one of the things that we find also. So I, I yeah. think that's a universal thing in the wine world. I yeah. don't think it's a yeah. specific region or anything like that. Yeah. I, you know, you can go to somebody else and say, listen, I'm just stuck. I don't exactly know yeah. what to do with yeah. this. And they're not going, ha 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 ha. You know, they're, they, they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. they're, they, yeah. they legit try to help you and and do that and i hear so many winemakers who have their own labels started that same way where they were working at another winery you know a larger facility and you know that facility was like hey you know what we've got two extra tons of love you know whatever whatever yeah yeah do you want to do you want to start your own label and you know and that's and that's how so many people have started and yeah a beautiful thing about the industry so great Absolutely. And I mean, I stayed working and, um, you know, my real job, I didn't start working full-time in Jules Taylor until October 2008. So um, I had a real job for a long time and this was just kind of my little moonlighting thing bubbling along. And, you know, eventually you get to a point where you've got to take a risk, you know, you've got to say, okay, believe in yourself, get on with this. You know, you'll never know if you don't try. So I handed in my resignation and my keys to my company car and off we went. And I mean, God, it took a long time before this thing actually could feed our family properly. Right. You know, and to, yeah. Anyway, it's all good fun. We're never going to be gazillionaires, but you know, we're having a good time trying. There you go. Right. It's good time trying. That's all that really matters. Right. And so now you said it was 2008 when you, Mm-hmm. actually said goodbye to the day job but your first yep. label was in 2001 one yeah right. but I mean it was tiny you know I made um in total 400 cases oh okay uh, 100 150 of pinot gray I think it was 150 of pinot gray and 250 of riesling oh you know, okay. that, that was yeah they were the two varieties we didn't have a sauvignon blanc I mean for goodness sake we didn't have a sauvignon blanc until 2004 um yeah but it was it's been a a slow build um yeah what's your case production now um we're at about fifty thousand. okay um so still not massive but you know it's enough to you know to to keep us going and now do you have we're in ap so you know there's multiple wineries in our our building we don't own the mm-hmm. equipment yeah so are you you're you're in an ap also yeah 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 so um the facility that we use i'm not sure how many clients they have but um yeah quite a few and there's just no way that we'd be able to fund all that infrastructure you know for presses and things like that that you only use once a year i mean it, it even if i won the lottery you know yeah. it would be a stretch Right. I don't I I don't really ever see any other way that we would do it either. Like that just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Why should I why should I dish out all of this money, like you said, for equipment that you're gonna use once, you know, yeah. one little, you know, season. Yeah. And then it's gonna yeah. sit there and, you know, do nothing for the rest yeah. of it. I rather, you know, work th- in this system, you know, where yeah. it is. 
Um, although the compl- I don't I, the compliance I don't know how it is there, but the compliance here is ridiculous. Like you literally sign a piece of paper that you take over that piece of equipment, and then you sign that piece of paper that it went back. It's so much paper, right? It's slightly <laughs> yeah, slight, it's slightly different here in that um, the facility that we work from is fully run by them. So all we do is uh, you know say hey on this day I'd like to bring in. 20 tons of Pinot Gris and you there's a booking system you book it in you turn up with the fruit and they do everything so everything is documented and written down and all traceable and all that kind of stuff so I don't have to you know yeah it's a bit of a shame but I don't have to do any of that physical work anymore which was you know occasionally I'll fill some barrels but um yeah they they do that for us yeah, that's that yeah, is how ours is too. Just for the for the documentation of when we're processing, they actually sign the paper, kind of electronically sign that equipment to Dracaena Wines, and then oh, it's signed back to them because we're the ones processing it. But I'm not physically processing it. It's the same thing. Yeah. They have full time workers. That's crazy. I know it's it's just all paperwork, but it's at least it's electronic now. But it's all paper, yeah, yeah, it's all sure. paperwork, yeah. yeah. But you know, it's it's always exciting to see those grapes go into the process, however the process is. Oh right? yeah. Now you said that you actually thought that you would start off really be in the viticulture side, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you much prefer in in the winery uh, just, just the way it kind of panned out I mean I still um you know have huge interest in the grape growing um and especially during harvest you know that's our one chance to decide you know wh- where that flavor window is um I mean we can manipulate acid and things like that but you can't change flavor mm-hmm. you know so I spend a lot of time walking up and down those Rose filling my poor belly with berries, um, you know, deciding when that when that is. Um, and I love that time of year. It's super exciting. Super exciting. It is. It is. I agree with you. Now, so tell us about Marlboro. Like where exactly Ooh. it is. What I mean, how big is it? You know, what what's your climate like? Just just give yeah. us a, a you know, a Marlboro. A little snapshot. Yes. Okay, so Marlborough is on the northeastern tip of the South Island of New Zealand. Um, We're definitely cool climate. This morning we would have had um, in Fahrenheit, it would have been below 32. So it's nice and crisp and frosty in the winter, but we have these beautiful clear days and it might get to... Oh, God, maybe 60, 50, 55, 60. So we have nice clear days, but not too hot. The summertime is warm, but never like California. You know, I've been to Paso and I've got friends there and uh, I've stayed there and nearly died, I think. Um, You know, we just don't get that kind of heat. And in the evenings, you know, once the sun goes down, there are probably only... I don't know, between five and 10 evenings that you would sit outside without putting a jacket on. You know, so... We get this beautiful um, diurnal um, difference in temperature. You know, the the days are nice and bright. A lot of UV. You know, you get sunburn very quickly here, but it's not it's not super hot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's kind of weird. Anyway, so nice bright sunlight and it's quite dry. Um, I mean, yeah, dry. Yeah, 
not like you guys dry, but pretty dry. <laughs> um, yeah, so we probably only get around 600-odd mil of rain a year, millimetres. Okay. Um, so it's, yeah, having said that, I think we probably got a third of that two weekends ago and there was dreadful flooding. So, you know, again, mm. Mother Nature flexing her muscles. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> what else about Marlborough? Marlborough, so um, it's a valley um and you know on the main valley floor lots of different varieties growing um i think you know the southern valleys which are um you know north facing and slightly heavier heavier in clay more sort of you know pinot noir and that kind of variety growing over there um our prevailing wind is the northwest, which comes across from Australia, so warm wind that picks up moisture coming across the Tasman Sea, and then the hills to the north of Marlborough kind of protect us from that, so the rain tends to fall there. So often we can be nice and, you know, sunny and clear, and there'll be rain out there. And similarly, we get the southerly wind from Antarctica, comes up bitterly cold, sort of hits Cape Campbell, which is a little cape um, to the east of us, and then deflects that over into the North Island. So we're quite protected from, um, you know, wind and rain. Um, what else, Marlborough? Hmm. Yeah, it's quite diverse. You know, people say, oh, my God, all Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc's the same. It's just utter rubbish, you know, <laughs> quite different depending on where you are in the valley, whether you're closer to the sea, further up the valley, closer to the um, hills, or over in the Awatiti Valley, which is... You know, if it was a region of its own, it would be the second largest, you know, next oh, to Marlborough. Okay. Wow. Yeah, a lot of fruit grown over in the Awatiti, which is, you know, the, the flavour profiles are completely different from the white oak. So that actually, that was going to be my next question is that there's three sub-regions, right, within, within Marlborough. Right. Yeah, I would say even even more than that. I mean, within yeah. the Awatiti, it... It is different down the valley and across, you know, on either side of the river. Um, and in this main valley, gosh, I would say there's more than three subregions even within this valley. So, yeah, lots of diversity in terms of soil um, type and just heat accumulation, you know, depending on where you are, you know. Do you, um, so now you source all of your fruit and correct, do you have any estate whatsoever? Yeah, we own one vineyard and we okay. lease another, um, but the majority of our fruit comes from contract growers, you know, some of whom we've worked with for a long time, um, some of whom are tiny. We have a Gruner grower that has 0.8 of a hectare. Um, some of our other growers are, have much larger holdings and they provide fruit to multiple wine companies. Um, but, yeah, we couldn't do this if it weren't for them. <laughs> And so that Again, was, the lottery. Yes. <laughs> yes. Several, several lotteries. Um, yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I always ask when people source their fruit is how do you come about? So you said that you've been working with these people for a long time. Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. did you originally find them and decide, yes, this is the contract that I want to, you know, the the vineyard owner or, or vineyard right. director that I want to work with. What are you looking for that you know this is going to be a relationship? Because I try to explain to people, it's not only the fruit. You need to have the relationship with the person. So yeah. what are you looking for? Well, 
I think, you know, as you allude to, you know, I think the number one thing is we want to work with nice people, you know. that's We want to work with people who are, you know, smaller family businesses um, that are taking care of their land for future generations. And in the beginning, it was super difficult because we were this sort of no one that um, was saying, hey, we'd like to buy your fruit. And, you know, rightly so. They didn't trust our checkbook. You know, it was like, why would they supply us the fruit? So in the beginning, it was quite hard and we lost out on parcels of fruit to other more well-established brands. And I mean, I get that. Um, But in my former life, you know, what I did see was a lot of different vineyards um, from around Marlborough And I sort of formulated a picture in my mind about where we wanted to be sourcing the different varieties from. Um, So that was hugely beneficial um, when it came to deciding where we were going to be sourcing fruit from. And it's a, the website says that you like to focus in on single blocks. Um, Are the majority of your wines uh, 100%? (laughs) Uh, whatever the variety is, or do you t- do you have blends in there? The the wines are a hundred percent the variety. Um, in New Zealand, we have an eighty five percent rule, but um, our wines are one hundred percent. We have a range of single vineyard wines under the OTQ, the On the Quiet um, banner, um, but. The Jules Taylor, that classic white label range that you see more often in the in the United States, they tend to be blends. And now a word from our sponsor. Exploring the wine glass is brought to you by Dracina Wines. Dracina Wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in wine enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. Yeah, so that wine that you've got, that actually is a single vineyard wine, that one, um, just by chance that year. Yeah. And when you're looking for the fruit, um, you're... you. Actually, I told you, I, I scouted you big time. It says that you're a, a, a dish, a, a mother, a mother to two, but the godmother to several hundred thousand grapes. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, I was having a blast. I was laughing. My husband, you know, I was laughing while I was looking at these things to come up with these questions. And I'm laughing. My husband is so, what is so funny? I'm like, she's the godmother to grapes. This is the best thing ever. I absolutely love this. So, oh, yeah. They're my babies, right? Yeah. As the godmother. They're the babies that you? don't talk back. There they you don't go. talk back and they don't steal all the food from the fridge. <laughs> 
What are you looking for in your godchildren? Like while you're walking through, um, so let uh-huh. let's start with we'll start with the Chardonnay because we're gonna taste the Pinot yep. Gris. So let's talk about yep. the Chardonnay itself. So as you're walking through the vineyard and we're get we're getting close to harvest, what yep. are you? You know, as you're picking your godchildren <laughs> to taste <I've>, them, <laughs> what what's going through your mind? Walk us through. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're trying to look for, you know, what is this going to look like, you know, post all the fermentation and yada, yada. Um, I, I think because of the climate here, the wines tend to have a nice, what I call bright, juicy acidity. I mean, they're not acidic, but I think, you know, the acid backbone is its the thing that all these other flavors hang off. Um, so once you get past that kind of really fierce acid, I mean, you don't want to be going, you know, terrible, terrible puckering acidity. Um, I'm also looking, you know, to get it more in that kind of stone fruity kind of end of the flavor profile. I mean, because of the cool climate here, the Chardonnay tends to be sort of more minerally stone fruity than big, ripe, tropical you know, fruit bombs um, that you get from more, you know, warmer climates. Um, So, yeah, I'm looking for bright, juicy acidity, but not acidic. Um, And getting through that, you know, I don't want to taste too much of that kind of apple component, which I think, you know, can be one of the precursors before we get to, you know, ripe, ready-to-pick Chardonnay. And they have this, you know, you can even look at a bunch and go, oh, yeah, you look you look ready. They go from sort of more that sort of greeny color to slightly more golden, you know, depending on the exposure. I mean, obviously the berries at the back are going to be green, but you know, you get that beautiful golden glow. And so one of the things we produce a Chenin Blanc and one of the Mm -hmm. things that I think adds, adds to the dimensions of Chenin Blanc is that it unripens or well, it ripens unevenly. My my yep. mouth couldn't talk correctly. Yep. How about Chardonnay? Yeah, yeah. How about Chardonnay? Is it is it do those bunches pretty much ripen at the same time? Um, are they uneven? Um, I, are you looking for even bunches or uneven bunches? I think they're sort of they can be quite even within the vine, but within a bunch, I mean, you're going to get different flavor profiles just purely because of you know UV light exposure. I mean, I think that. Um, and in th- th- varieties like Sauvignon Blanc, I mean, we're aiming for that because I want, you know, a fruit salad of flavors. You know, you don't want it all to taste the same, right? right? Pinot Noir, I'm happier if that's more similar. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but Chardonnay, I do think, yeah, you've got to taste those ones at the back because, you know, if they're pretty full on, you know, that can kind of overpower the, the resulting wine. So once they're good to go, book in the pickers. You're ready to go. <laughs> You're ready, ready to, to go. go. Awesome. Take those guys to town. Yes. All right. Yeah. So, so uh, one of the things is uh, that uh, next week, August 4th, is National or International White Wine Day. So I I take these wine days with, you know, like laughter yeah. or whatever. And I actually created so a wine day. I created a wine day that is actually internationally recognized now. So I take it with a great assault. Um, but I have to say, I love it when it lands on a wine Wednesday or. You yeah. Know, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so do you celebrate the, do you, are you going to celebrate international white wine day on the fourth? 
Well, you know, the, the problem is I probably celebrate it um, on many days. So <laughs> it might not be such a different day in my life, but um, I am a big wine, white wine drinker. You know, I, I don't know, red wine and jewels just, we're not the, the best of friends. Um, so for me, yeah. I might have a glass of, I don't know, Chablis or, you know, I, oh. I'm a bit of a Sauvignon Blanc queen. I love a glass <laughs> of Savvy. It's that, that wine that just, it's a good pick-me-up, you know. If you've had a crappy day, it's going to jump out of the glass and say, here I am, I've got your back. There you, know, you go. Yum. Yeah. And you know what? That's true. It is true. When you when you have a yeah. good Sauvignon Blanc, it does. It's it's difficult to not smile and feel things are yeah, going to get brighter. Absolutely. You know, it's like the Annie song of wines. You know, the sun will yeah. come out tomorrow. <laughs> oh my God, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, so your white wines are actually vegan, gluten-free, and sustainably uh, certified. So mm -hmm. I think everybody knows, uh, you know, I'm glad to hear that it's sustainable and more and more wineries are doing that. Um, but the gluten and, and vegan thing is, you know, people get very confused by that and get very, you know, upset with certain things that they don't really understand. Um, are your wines not filtered? or are you using bentonite or vegetable plaques how are you doing that yeah so they're definitely filtered um just because i'm a chicken you know um and when it's my livelihood uh yeah they're filtered so then they're, they're bright yeah um we also use bentonite to um protein stabilize the wine just so that you know, if you leave it in the back seat of your car and then cool it down, there's no haze. Um, so that's purely for, you know, so I don't get too many emails from consumers having to um, explain mm. that. Um, in terms of fining, you know, most of our wines have virtually no finings. Um, I think the way we process the fruit, you know, the cooler the night, we're not doing a huge amount of skin contact. And the varieties we use don't have super phenolic skins, you know, especially if you let them ripen to when they're, you know, physiologically ripe. They don't need fining. Um, mm. We tend to make a press cut and then oxidise the living bejesus out of the, the pressing so that all those kind of, you know, harsh characters, you just don't end up in the wine, you know. They just don't end up there. I mean... Uh, definitely the, the Pinot Gris and the Chardonnay and the Sav, they, they haven't had any findings apart from bentonite. Okay. Well, I think it's the perfect time to, to give this a taste. So, because okay. I'm thirsty. So we are going to taste your 2020 Pinot It's after midday. Today. Yes. It, and it is, it is way too late for me. So I'm good to go. <laughs> so we are tasting the 2020 Jules Taylor uh, Pinot Gris. So if you can tell me as I pour a little bit about this wine, um, why a Pinot Gris? Because um, I was actually pretty shocked how much Pinot Gris there is mm -hmm. in Marlboro. Like, uh, as we all know, Sauvignon Blanc is you know queen uh she yes. is you know, um but i it actually there's more pinot gris than there is uh chardonnay so tell us about pinot gris i mean for me it's a wine that um it satisfies 
a lot of different palettes. So if you're at a table and there are three of you and you're wanting to buy a bottle of wine at the restaurant um, and someone likes Sauvignon and someone likes Chardonnay, it's like just, just get a bottle of Pinot Gris. You know, it ticks a lot of the boxes. So you're getting, you know, quite a lot of the kind of textural component like Chardonnay. You're getting beautiful bright fruit. Like you get in, not the same flavour profiles, but you get bright fruit like Sauvignon. Um and everyone's going to be happy, you know. It's it's just that really easy to drink, goes with lots of different foods. Um, yeah, it's just a super super for me. It's the logical choice, right? When you these yeah, aromatic, if you've got options, these aromatics yeah. are like you know. I'm in a little itty bitty room here, and <laughs> when I open the door, it's going to be like I uh, you know you know when you you know when you have fresh flowers in a little room and yes like, yeah. These aromatics you know, are out of out of this world. They are, and I think we've seen um, quite a change over the oh, probably the last ten years when some of the newer clones have been brought into New Zealand and planted. The four five sevens and the fifty two B. I mean, I think the original clones that were planted here didn't have a huge amount of um, you know aromatic components so as a winemaker you're always trying to do something different in the winery to try and coax everything out of them but the newer clones have beautiful spice and they're smaller berries and so they've got a little bit more bang for your buck in terms of flavor and aroma so you get you know hints of the spice along with all those beautiful stone fruity characters and some of the, this fruit we have hand harvested and whole cluster pressed into old barrels for wild ferment. I mean, really old barrels, not for any kind of oaky component, but just to have that really, you know, small vessel for the crazy high solids um, wild ferment. And I think that just adds another, you know, dimension to the wine. Um, I'm a sucker for dry wines. You'll never see Jules Taylor making a sweet Pinot Gris. Um, I think it just <laughs> lends itself to, you know, lots of different occasions where they'll just be having a glass with a friend in a bar after work or sitting down with a meal. Um, yeah, not into sweet Pinot Gris, but that's just a, a personal preference. And so that's how you get it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. The, well, we joke that when people ask us, well, why did you choose Cabernet Franc to start with? And our comment was probably too honestly was like, we didn't know if anybody was going to buy it. So we were making something. We were going to drink we it ourselves. Try, you know? I think it's a common thing. <laughs> right? You're, you're not going to make a wine that's not to your palate. Right. Yeah. Because you're the one who's making it. So we, I don't think you can go into this industry and say, I don't like sweet wines. I'm going to make sweet wine and I'm going to be the winemaker of that because I don't think yeah. those two can, can go hand in hand. Yeah. Well, it's super hard to take that to someone and sell it to them. Right. Because, you know, because <laughs> of honesty, because of honesty, yeah. right. Right. Can, can you tell us a little bit about like his history of Pinot Gris? Like how is Pinot Gris different than Pinot Noir or, you know, how, what is Pinot Gris? Well, it's a different colour. Um, that's the first thing. Um, but, yeah, they're very closely related. In fact, I've got, for, oh, I can't show you photos on my phone. Um, often you see a bunch of Pinot Gris that has kind of gone a little bit loopy and gone back it to, to its original kind of, you know, history, and you'll see a berry that's half Pinot Gris, half Pinot Blanc or half Pinot Gris, 
half Pinot Noir, you know, and it's like, what are these, what's going on here? So it's probably, you know, not very stable from a um, genetic point of view. Um, yeah. Apart from that, I really don't know much about it. I'm embarrassed to say. Oh, um, it's a, it, it is a mutation though, correct? It yeah. is not, yeah. right? So, so I, it's, it's like the X-Men of Pinot Noir. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, they should be a captain uh, at a Xavier school for special wine, for special grapes. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but this is this is beautiful. It does have it has that stone fruit. It I still cannot get over the aromatics because yeah. it's not even close to my nose, and it's yeah. I can. It's I, super pretty. Yeah. yeah. It, it is, and I think um, even though I mean the sugar is probably just under four grams per liter, but because um, to get this ripe in the vineyard, I mean it gets quite ripe in terms of bricks, and so as a consequence, you end up with you know pretty reasonable alcohol. This is probably about thirteen. 13.8. So that combined with that sugar level and low acid, I think people see it as much sweeter, you know, that sort of perceived sweetness that you get from alcohol. Mm. Um, so I think it's a super, super easy wine to drink. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't yes. sort of whack you with like, you know, fierce acidity or, you know, really, really dry, you know, palate. Right. Um, but yeah, I just love it because it's got those beautiful kind of um, peach and spice kind of characters, mm -hmm. you know, they remind me, it reminds me of my grandma's old peaches, you know, those oh, old fashioned peaches that you guys get, you know, at the Templeton market, the Templeton farmer's market, oh, all those beautiful, oh, all those beautiful, I, whenever I go there, it just blows my mind. There can be so many different varieties of peach yep. or tomato. Yeah. No, it's just so cool. Yeah, we have we but have the, a very yeah, small garden, and we have six different tomatoes growing in. Right. Yeah. There you go. Perfect. But this is, and I think that's spot on. the The peach is the peach is beautiful. It's it's and it ha it has that spice. And the thing about the palate is there there is acid there. It's not the salivate your tongue. Mm -hmm. You know, acid. Yeah. It's not. It's yeah. not the I sucked on a lemon citrus. Mm -hmm. You know, that's no. But but this it's it's acid that actually makes it right down the middle where i can sit and chill with this on its own but it can yep. also go with food it's got enough yep. structure to it that i can sit down and enjoy a meal with it also yes. and yeah that's not always an easy balance to have no it's a tight line right but yep. it is it is lovely. Do you, do you know what this retails for here? I imagine it's around $20. Oh, well, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this is a case buy. At that point, yeah. <laughs> this is a case buy at this price because the this is the you can just taste the quality in it. The the there's the dimensions that are in it, it's not just unidimensional. There's so much yep. going on in there and it's yep. just, it, it just coats your tongue. It is a little fuller bodied than I had expected it to be. Right. And that's not a bad thing. It's just, it, you know, in my head, when I was getting ready to taste it, I was expecting it to be a lighter bodied wine. Um, I, I don't really know why I just, 
I, I, I think it's just that in Marlborough, you know, we can get this really ripe. You know, you do see um, sort of slightly more um, austere, you know, down the line kind of Pinot Gris, but they probably just picked a wee bit earlier. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then you did say this is wild ferment? Do you do all your Some of it's wild ferment. Oh, okay. Um, probably it wouldn't even be 10%, but okay. it just... It is quite amazing what 10%, I mean, you know, when you're blending, what 10% can do to, you know, the more sort of standard, you know, cool stainless steel fermented with not as many solids. Um, I definitely think that, yeah, we will continue to, you know, do a portion like this just because it makes it a little more interesting. I mean, as a variety sometimes, yeah, as I said earlier, it can be a little bit kind of, yeah, a little bit boring, um, but yeah. Well, this is not boring. This is this is not boring at all. Um, and so, when you take when you're uh, processing this, you said you're, you're using uh, neutral oak, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're doing wild ferment for a portion of it. And then yep. you, so you're using commercial yeast. That commercial yeast, are you dividing that also into neutral oak and stainless? Or no, that's just a hundred percent in in stainless. Okay, yeah. And fermented pretty cool, you know, um, around 10 degrees Celsius. Um, so okay. um, that's probably, what's that, about 50? 50, 50, 52. 50, 52, yeah. Yeah, yeah so nice and cool. So once, um, once we've pitched the yeast, um, you know, which is obviously a, a little, the temperature is a little bit warmer in the, in, in the juice, and once that starts rolling over and producing gas and you can see those yeast are super, super happy, it's time to... <laughs> that cooling switch um and you know as a winemaker here i think it's probably one of our um best tools you know to retain that fruit fermenting cool um we find is the, the way forward well i will say whatever you are doing it is it is lovely um oh, thank it, you Laura. it is i the on the palate the 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 finish is just it's still there it's it is a long finish and i i'm horrible at food pairings because i eat so <laughs> little my variety of food is pretty much protein bars pop tarts pasta um you know <laughs> but <laughs> i know <laughs> i eat horribly um but <laughs> um but like we're going to, we're going to have this with cheese later. We're going to finish this, uh, with, with cheese later. And I can't, nice. I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to have a little bit more. And my husband's going to have a little bit less when, well, when that's okay. gets home. um, so it's only fair. Yeah, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, so I'm going to ask a question and I always kind of hate asking this question because I know how I feel, but in our world, we kind of always have, nah, in our world, we kind of always have to, you know, do this. So being a female in a mostly male dominated career, right? How do you, have you had to do any hurdles that you think would have been an easier path if you, if you weren't a female um, or, or no, which is also legit answer. Yeah, I mean, I think in the beginning, for sure, you know, but I, it's hard to know. I mean, I think part of it is just, you know, getting that first job and 
in any kind of field, you know, it's always the toughest. But um, I do remember in my first job, I was not allowed to drive the forklift, even though I was the only one who had a forklift operator's certificate. That was, yeah, that kind of stuff, you know, you just go, whatever, get on. Um, and it's just about, I don't know, believing in yourself and sticking up for yourself. Um, we are really lucky in New Zealand that, you know, when I started out, sure, I was definitely in the minority, but now there are way more females working in the industry um, than, you know, when, when I started out. Um, it's still hard, but I think it's hard for, for everyone, you know. Um, I've been hugely supported by a lot of males in, you know, my career. Um, so I'm pretty, pretty lucky. And, yeah, I feel fortunate for that. I, I had to laugh when you said the forklift. I hear that. Like, that is... Yeah, I wasn't allowed to drive the forklift is like the consistent answer for yeah. female, for female yeah. winemakers. And, and, you know, even though and you're certified so and, you know, it's yeah. just, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things, Yeah, you know, but, but I was determined to not make it um, a barrier, you know, or a hurdle. It's just, if you get on and do it and just prove you're worth it. Yeah. Then they can't yeah. say anything about it because no. you're proving nope. you're proving how competent you are. Probably more so than some other people who who they allow to do things. For sure, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a tough one because I do know people who have had, you know, some pretty bad experiences. Um, and yeah, I've just been lucky. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and then my other part twist of that is, you know how we have the, you know, the, the winemaker of the year, but then we have the female winemaker of the year. I know my thoughts on this one, but you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, um, I want to be compared with winemakers, you know, that's what I am. I'm a winemaker just because I'm a female that it just shouldn't matter, you know? It just shouldn't matter. It should be irrelevant. You know, the female winemaker of the year. I mean, that's, yeah, it's a whatever. <laughs> it, it, every time I hear that, I, I feel like, uh, you know, it's like, and here, here's the participation trophy. <laughs> you know, we have the winemaker yeah. of the year and then here you go for, you know. Um, and, yeah. you know, I know people who have been named it and it's an honor to be named it. But at some point, I would like to just see... Everybody. Winemaker of the year. Winemaker of the For year. Sure. And it doesn't I'm matter. It doesn't matter. So, mm -hmm. all right. Um, so, Glad if, we've cleared that one. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> is there anything that, that you would like to cover that I missed? Um, you know, I didn't ask you what other varieties you produce. I know you do a Pinot. Mm -hmm. um, what else? Um, we make, obviously, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, Gruner Veltliner, which for me has Ooh. been a super fun, you know, journey, um, just because there's not a lot of it planted here. I had no idea when to pick it, um, how to make it, what, what, do you, what do you do with it? And my husband wouldn't let me go and work in Austria to find out. Uh, not that he wouldn't, it was just too difficult. Um, 
so yeah, that's been super fun. Um, what else do we do? I have to, I'm going to stop you. How do you, how did you decide on Gruner? I absolutely adore Gruner. I think it is Um, a fun, such a fun grape. Um, So how did you decide on it and how did you get that, that, those grapes? Um, A friend of ours, um, who's a winemaker for another company, um, he and his partner were growing the fruit and, you know, they had no home for it. And so I immediately said, oh my God, pick me. That was how it happened. Awesome. So it's not a very interesting story, but it's been, you know, the first couple of vintages were pretty interesting and slightly hairy and that, you know, as I said, we didn't know when to pick it. And so we kept going and tasting and tasting, and go, oh, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden, holy moly, it's 26 bricks. And so we've got this really alcoholic, sweet kind of, oops, kind of muck that one up. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we have refined uh, what we're doing. And we've been making it now for, oh, might be 10 years. Oh, wow. Not quite 10 years. Yeah. So it's a super cool grape, you know. It's um, it's still, I can't believe that, you know, the bunches can be like the size of your head, these massive, you know, hugely wow. enormous bunches that we end up um, thinning it quite harshly um, just because it's like I'm sure that grapevine is going to fall over <laughs> if we left all the fruit. Um, so it's been it's been really fun, and I think it's a really interesting um, food wine, um, and it's some you know it's a wine that ages beautifully as well. So it's been interesting. That's all. I I love Gruner. I have never aged Gruner. It doesn't make it very long. I've always I've always in my brain considered it one of the you know you purchase it and drink now drinking now yeah yeah be, yeah well if you find one that you love buy another bottle and put it away for a few years. All right, we will. I will do that yeah. absolutely, yeah. and then just kind of hide it so that I forget it's there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, so Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Noir, Gruner, Chardonnay, Gruner, Pinot Gris, um, Rose. Okay. I um, mean, within the Sauvignon thing, I mean, we make three different ones. We make the classic oh, okay. style, you know, the one that you either love or hate, but the one that flies the, I am from Marlborough, here oh. I am, I'm vibrant, I'm going to hit you with eight different flavours, you know, <laughs> the octopus effect Sauvignon. Um, and then we make, you know, and that one is all picked by machine and fermented in stainless, really cold with a selected yeast. Then we make, under the OTQ range, um, a hand-harvested whole cluster press wild ferment, you know, Malo, if it happens, Malo, you know, if it doesn't, whatever kind of Sauvignon. So the Sauvignon that I say is for Chardonnay lovers, you know, much more textural, lower in acid, not as overt in its flavour profile, Sauvignon. And then we make a late harvest, so you the Botrytide style. Uh-huh. Um, of which we haven't been able to make for the last two years because it just hasn't, the, the fruit has been so clean, it just didn't get Botrytis, which is, you know, frustrating but good at the same time Same time, right right yeah yeah um so and that that i think is you know fun um i mean sauvignon blanc doesn't have to be that wine that polarizes people it can be yeah it's just great that it can be you know a little more versatile than some people give it credit for which i think is cool yeah, that is, that is, because I do, I do have to say when you hear Sauvignon Blanc, people just, you know, Marlboro Sauvignon Blanc, they're, they're thinking of a very specific, uh, yeah, that we won't Flavor say, 
Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So can you tell people where they can find you? Are you on social media? Where's the best place to contact you? Things like that. Ooh. Um, yeah. So we're on social media, um, Instagram and um, what is uh, Facebook. Um, Jules Taylor Wines. Pretty easy to find. And, you know, if you ever need me, Jules at JulesTaylor.com. You know, it took me year and a half to come up with my own name for that so it's all very simple um and yeah in terms of where you can find it in the u.s just put it into your search engine you'll you'll find us um mainly the sauvignon blanc pinot gris pinot noir um but some places have the, the um, chardonnay as well and the otq ones as well but i mean they're tiny tiny production wines so they're not as readily available I will say when I was on the website, you can plug in uh, your zip code and it does give you where you can find your Ooh, wine. fancy. Yeah. That's cool. Yes. It, I was like, oh, look at that. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then, you know, pandemic, let's just throw the pandemic out to the side. Uh, and, yeah. Can people come visit Jules Taylor Wines? What do you, you know, is there tastings there? What do you do? Yeah, we, we don't have a tasting room, but I'm always happy okay. to see people drive up the driveway to the office. You know, I'm happy to open a bottle of wine and sit out on the beanbag under the oak trees. Um, well, that sounds so, yeah, perfect to me, up. beanbag under tree. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, and gosh, I just, feel, I just don't know when we're going to be able to do this again, though. You know, it just seems so far away yes it does and getting worse they just announced again mask mandates all over here so yes it's not mm -hmm. it's, it's not but we're, we're gonna push through that we're gonna look past that see the positives yes and have a glass have a glass well i'm gonna have some several glasses of pinot gris but take right. that sauvignon blanc and let the sun shine and return everything happy <laughs> yeah I like that. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jules, for taking time out of your day to spend it no with problem. me. I had a blast talking to you. Your the, the Pinot Gris is exceptional, and I can't wait to try the Chardonnay. And um, I don't know. I, I keep saying that I want to come work um, a vintage over there so that I can see yeah. how, how it works over there. Um, so maybe one day I'll get there and I'll see. Maybe you. one day. <laughs> maybe or I'll see you day. in Paso. Yes. If you are in Paso, definitely shoot me an email and we Great. will, we will have a blast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do love, I do love Paso. It's a, it's a really cute little town. It is. It is near and dear to our heart. We do love yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. So thank you very much. I hope you have I hope you have a great rest of your day. You still have a whole lot yes, of day cheers. left. Okay. So I, yeah. I always end with what yes, I say yes. is Lancha. Have a great day cool. and thank you. You too, Laurie. Bye. Bye. Oh, no, 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 this has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. 
Until next week, slancha. You are so special, even in the Bible. Water got turned right into wine. So you and I can fill the vine.